Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the DOGS program. We are the Defenders of Government Schools. D-O-G-S. I know it's a strange way to talk about defending government schools by wandering around pretending you're barking, but we sort of have to bark at the establishment because there's very few people out there defending government schools. Uh, The various ministers responsible for education in the various states and federally don't feel it's their responsibility to stand up for state schools. They like to be more ecumenical and stand up for all schools, which of course include Catholic schools and other private independent religious schools. Um, And so therefore we have to be here. We exist on 3CR, Community Radio, as a public service to give a balanced approach to the way education is dealt with in Australia. We used to be considered radical, but now most of our opinions appear in most mainstream uh, what we what, the, what we used to call broadsheets um, or intellectual news uh, of one form or another. And certainly the weird way we do funding and education here in Australia um, sticks out like proverbial, um, well, sticks out a great deal and is an outlier, is an outlier when it comes to by education is done in successful countries around the world. Um, today we're talking about around the world, we're going to trip, trip off to England. Jean has a wonderful new book that's just been published in England um, about the English education system and specifically about the English private education system. Um, I was talking to her earlier before the show about whether she'd do a book review and she says, no, no, I've only read half of it. I'm going to have to do the other half next week. But nevertheless, um, what she's come across is gold um, in terms of arguments that have been put by private school interests over the centuries to protect their assets, to protect wealth, to protect privilege and to protect educational apartheid as a principle. Um, later in the program, um, after a bit of music, which like we always like to have, I think we're going to go back to the court of Henry VIII today, because I like that, and the rest of you have to join me. We're <laughs> going to listen to some lovely music through the program. But after we've heard Jean talking about what's going on in England, I want to talk about some suggestions put forward by the Grattan Institute, the way we can magically fix education in Australia. And there's some really good ideas. And then depressingly, I'll have to tell you why they won't ever be implemented <laughs> under any circumstances because unfortunately the Australian education system has a very large cancerous growth, which of course is the private education system, which is funded by you and me, the taxpayers. Um, Then of course, um, after telling you all about the terrible things, I will tell you about some nice things. I really want to have a nice gentle chat about what's going on at Thomastown East Primary School because Thomas Downey's Primary School is our great state school of the week. But we have to hear the good news. We have to say that to last. It's like a dessert here on the Dogs Program. Um, you'll be here with us for the next just a bit under an hour, but we really enjoy your company and certainly enjoy your support, as does 3CR. But before, before much ado, um, I'd like to be all community, and we'll have some community announcements, and then Jean can give her press release, um, which is press release number what is it, Jean? 813. 813. Press release number 813. Let's have some public service announcements. It's important to be community. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Guitar 
guitarist Matthew Fagan Band and Friends presents Earth Show, a rock and classical journey across our living planet. It's a music and visual spectacular celebrating the one planet that we inhabit. Saturday the 9th of November at the Deacon Edge Federation Square. Content starts at 8pm and an environment symposium, Our Shared Home, is on from 5pm. There's a 40% discount for 3CR subscribers, making your all-inclusive tickets just $33 for adults, $30 concession and $24 for students. Plus booking fee and don't forget to book in with the 3CR subscriber code 3CR20. Go to www.matthew-fagan.com. A 3CR supporter. Well, good afternoon, listeners. Here is press release 813. As Robert uh, noted before before we had that announcement, um, I've been reading a book, Engines of Privilege, Britain's Private School Problem. It's by Francis Green and David Kynaston, and I was able to obtain it from the Guardian Book Club. And I'm very grateful to the Guardian Book Club and to these gentlemen. They have written for England a book that I would just love to write for Australia. But um, this is the press release. Historical continuity in Australian education, as in Britain, we talk and do nothing. For the last half century, and most particularly since the growing entanglement of religion with the state and the advent of neoliberal economic orthodoxy in Australian politics, with momentous and monotonous regularity, both political parties wax moralistic on educational issues and do nothing. Our educational problems are often laid at the feet of an under-resourced public education system. We're falling behind in the international education stakes. Blame the teachers, back to basics, shed crocodile tears for the disadvantaged while making sure they only receive crumbs from the handouts of the wealthy. Our continuing problems are identified by international organisations as growing inequalities. But again and again, our politicians, our media, even our economic gurus talk and do nothing. Public school supporters take comfort in the occasional exposés, but year after year, needs inquiry after needs inquiry not just the Schools Commission, but now we've got Gonski 1 and Gonski 2, they note that nothing has changed. If anything, with bipartisan political support, the inequalities perpetuated by our educational arrangements are getting worse. So dogs wish to do a reality check. The real major continuing problem going back into our British past because Australia was a British colony and we haven't fallen that far from the tree, is the underlying reality of an enduring cycle of class privilege and anti-democratic corruption with our private school problem. First of all, just in the last week, we've got the perennial problem in the, in the media, believe it or not, in the media, we moralise about of accountability. Accountability for the expenditure of public money is a basic democratic principle. It inhibits corruption. Yet in the last week, for example, noises were made in New South Wales about the lack of scrutiny of Catholic school spending. We're told by Jordan Baker in the Sydney Morning Herald that although Catholic schools in New South Wales received Listen to this, $600 million in taxpayer funding from the state government only, of course. The New South Wales government's only budgetary oversight of the Catholic sector's annual funding, that's $600 million, was a one-page document stating how much money it would be paid. Former New South Wales Education Minister Adrian Procoli said that the document which was obtained by the Greens MP David Shoebridge under Freedom of Information, showed that schools receiving large amounts of public money were not subject 
to enough scrutiny. One dog suggests that they're not, they're not subject to any scrutiny. Now, dogs have been exposing the corrupt and corrupting lack of accountability by religious bureaucrats for half a century, while Auditors General reports are gathering dust, and nothing has been done. Religious authorities thumb their noses at our politicians and threaten them at the ballot box. Here's another private school problem which has surfaced in the last week with monotonous regularity. The problem of exclusiveness. The affordability of private school fees is a perennial source of verbal hand-wringing amongst parents, grandparents and even economists. This issue usually surfaces at the beginning of the year, but as the Australian economy slows and wages stagnate, uh, the uh, media, particularly the Financial Review economists, are making interesting noises about private school fees becoming too high to justify. But the real question is, justify to whom? With Australian real household disposable incomes lower today than seven years ago, the Australian Financial Review reports that private school fees have risen at roughly twice the rate of inflation every year for the past decade. EdStart, which lends money for education, says private school fees have gone up 3.1% this year, nearly twice the rate of inflation. And it's certainly a lot more than the cash rate of interest rate of the uh, Reserve Bank, isn't it? The survey of 1,600 families by the company across the nation, that's Edstart, showed that private school fees consumed 35% of net family income and in South Australian Victoria, the figure was close to 40%. And the Edstart Chief Executive Jack Stevens said that parents had always felt that school fees were a burden, but a decade of fee increases running above inflation had them up in arms. And not surprisingly, the school enrolments are sliding in favour of the public school system. So a lot of public school people say, why worry? They, these uh, schools might in fact shrink away. Well, they haven't for centuries. Even though in Britain, the big private schools were started back in the day, Henry VIII and Elizabeth I as schools for the poor. That's why they still have charitable status, which is under question, but nothing has happened about that either. So with private schools... um, Rising, we have some middle-class parents whose wages have stagnated while the fees have gone up, being forced, I suppose, into the public system. But I remember, because I've got a memory and I'm a bit long in the tooth, although they're false teeth, back in the day where Mr Kemp was the Minister for Education in the Coalition Government, remember back in the 1990s, the propping up of wealthy private schools with taxpayer funds was allegedly done to make them more cheaper, more affordable. But for whom were they to be made cheaper? Now, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but not all of the people all of the time. And one comment to the article in the Financial Review indicated the educational reality in Australia. And dogs like to deal with realities. Mal, and this is on October the 15th, 2019, which is just the last week going, at 10.52am wrote, This is the plan. Private school fees should be high enough to keep them for the elite, the high wealth individuals. Currently, some middle class, by working two jobs, get in and may get an opportunity. And the plan is to price them out. The 10... uh, thousand a year government subsidy per student, which in many cases is higher than the whole public school support, should be kept as high income welfare. The elite also plan, naturally enough, to maintain the good jobs for their children. The model is like England and Oxbridge, where the plan is to let 
some kids in to be changed into members of the English ruling class that brought giants like Boris, who can quote classics to his business partners, but can't do basic math. The better egalitarian plan would be to raise all the boats rather than give a few with enough money a chance to get on the one boat. So here is the heading. What is to be done? Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Well, what is to be done about the private school problem? The dogs actually have a very, very simple answer. There's a lot of talk around this, but there's a very simple answer. We can go back in our own history, which is different to British history, and we could just do away with state aid. But the book I've been reading uh, by Francis Green and David Kiniston, entitled Engines of Privilege, 2018 by Bloomsbury, actually defines the problem in England, and it is actually the problem that we have got here in Australia because we are waltzing back into our British privileged past with, um, if not an aristocracy, then certainly a plutocracy as fast as we can go. So this is very interesting, the way they define the private school problem as a cycle of privilege with the corollary of reproduction of social class. They argue that it's hard to imagine a notable improvement in social mobility or growing inequalities while private schools continue to play an important role. Allowing an unfettered expenditure, which we have here in Australia and also in England, on high-quality education for only a small minority of the population condemns the society to seeming perpetuity to a damaging degree of social segregation and inequality. So that's the problem in England, and it's certainly the problem, the growing problem in Australia, caused directly by private education, where a school has the right to discriminate against a child being enrolled in that institution. Now, they also identify the continuing problems in Britain. What the dogs can identify from their experience in this country, in the Australian political, legal and social culture during the last 50 years. Ray Nelson always said that the church's entanglement with the state and certainly the Catholic Church's influence on the state was like a cancer in the body politic. And this is what these people in England are looking at. They talk about 
amongst the people who could have done something because there have been a lot of people, particularly in the Labor Party, who could have done something. But they have lacked intellectual will, even amongst the progressives, to prioritise the issue. They've talked about needs, but when it came to the point, they didn't have the intestinal fortitude to do something about the private schools. There's been a lack of political will to take on the majority of long-established institutions. What politician, even what academic, even the academics who know uh, about all this up at Melbourne University, and I can think of one in particular who's an old boy of Scots, they are not prepared to take on the, the long-established long institutions, most particularly on the charitable uh, exemption issue. There's a personal embeddedness of the schools in those in power or positions of influence with the old boy networks because of their own schooling and their parental choices because their children go to these schools. Start with um, Mr. Uh, our, our Prime Minister and go down the line and then on the other side uh, have a look at um, the people in the Labor Party and where they send their, cho their, school, their children and also where they themselves went to school. There's also been, and up to a point the dogs appreciate this, an enduring attachment to libertarianism at the expense of equality of opportunity. The dogs' position is that private schools um, should exist. They shouldn't be... Um, uh, told that they can't exist, but they should pay for themselves. And that's been enduring in both Australia and Great Britain. And there's been a fallacious belief, and in effect it's wishful thinking, and it's the wishful thinking that you see in the um, financial review this week, that these schools somehow will just wither away. Uh, because people won't want them. And it hasn't happened. In fact, in Australia more than in England, they have been bolstered again and again by both parties. Now, these writers, these English writers, conclude that when they are defining this problem, that if serious action is ever to be taken about this deeply damaging private school problem in Britain, the problems will have to be surmounted in the coming years. And they give it till 2068. And they do list options for reform and they do have recommendations, but that will remain for next week's press release after I've read the book further. <laughs> Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 and AM Dial and podcast weekly um, on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Um, we just had a wonderful, interesting sort of trip in down sort of memory, memory lane of what went on in England um, in terms of their private school system and the extraordinarily similar parallels we have here in Australia, which is not surprising, being children of empire. 
Um, I'm very much looking forward to the second instalment um, of that review of that book. What's the book called again, Jane? It's called Engines of Privilege. Engines and you might notice that um, they are the Labor Party in England um, at the moment are taking on the private schools. That's the wealthy private schools, not the maintained private schools. It would be like taking on the Scots and the Kings of Australia, uh, but rather than the Catholic schools and uh, the smaller private schools of Australia. Hmm, and more strength to their own. They're not in power at the moment. Who knows what's going on in England at the moment. Um, but, yes, going, going to air, if I were to try and comment on it week to week, I mean, it would be a whole hour in itself, certainly in terms of the way the people are educated over there. But returning to Australia... Um, I want to get down to the nitty-gritty of teaching and learning and schools and education and state schools. I want to talk about teachers and their role and how well they're remunerated and the difficult jobs they have, because they do. I am one, um, amongst other things, and teaching is hard. So what Molino in Victoria has decided to do, he's, he's come up with this brilliant idea. This has happened before. We had the Teacher Australia program, which was a complete disaster, as was prophesied because it's still going, actually. It's just not doing anything effectively. Um, um, there's the Teach for America program that was modelled on has now been abandoned because it's just a waste of time. Um, he's doing almost exactly the same thing. What he's doing, our Education Minister, is he's creating a cash lure of an extra $50,000 for every teacher who's willing to work in a rural or rel- or regional school. If they stay, then they get, for a year, they get a $9,000 bonus on top of that, and they get a $9,000 bonus for the two years after that. So for three years, they get all these bonuses. And so all these bonuses have been handed out because obviously we have to work out where all the rubbish schools are so we can send the teachers to them um, and give them an extra $50,000 because they're brave enough to teach there. So I suppose what he has to do is go around and work out where all the rubbish schools are and publish that as a list, and we'll all know where all the rubbish schools are. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, it's just... It's this sort of marketplace decision... Um, Look, there's lots and lots of reasons why that's actually not such a good idea. And if you had a spare $50,000, I'm sure it could be spent on something more useful and interesting. Now, the Grattan Institute has um, picks up his argument. They don't mean to because they've come out with an education plan. The education plan the Grattan Institute's come up with in all sorts of ways is interesting. It's called Attracting High Achievers to Teaching. Now, what they suggest is that there's a fundamental problem in how teachers in Australia are supported to do their jobs today. Governments of all colours and over many years have left gaping holes in teacher support stemming from the way the teacher's workforce is organised. At this point I'm going to step out and say, imagine you turn up in a difficult-to-staff school with an extra $59,000 in your wallet compared to every other teacher sitting at the staff room table. And they're all going to go, oh, thanks for turning up, Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. or Miss Brilliant Person. You're going to come and save our lives, are you? Well, good luck. Here's, um, here's 10B. Do your best. <laughs> They'll put them on all the difficult classes. Well, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Because I mean, that's what they're there for. They're supposed to be experts. Because Melina doesn't actually um, dis- describe what a good teacher... Who are these people? Are, are they people with good degrees at Melbourne University or something? I mean, does that mean they can teach well? They've never well, actually been inside a staff room and worked out how it works. Well, maybe they have, maybe they haven't, but that's not the point that he's making. The Grattan Institute, to return to their potential solution, is the best teachers are not given the day job of helping other teachers to improve. That is, in fact, the solution. In a school, you've got good teachers, you've got new teachers, you've got old teachers, you've got tired teachers, you've got teachers in the middle, you've got teachers who've got problems at home. You've got all sorts of stuff going on. But if you've got a good teacher... Part of their day job should be helping other teachers to improve their practice. This means our current teacher workforce is less effective than it should be because we don't do this. It also pushes Australia's best and brightest young people away from a career in teaching, as shown by a recent Grattan Institute survey of almost 1,000 young people with an ATAR of more than 80. They used to have an inspectoral system, you know, and it was the job of the inspectors to help the teachers, yeah. and they did away with them. Yes, well... Sometimes the inspectors were good, sometimes they weren't. But yes, there is no oversight in that context. There's no oversight in the classroom beyond informal arrangements or indeed, uh, not, not even mentor, uh, what they call performance review processes. Mm. 
And if anyone here has ever been through a performance review, you know what I mean. It's not a very useful process. Now, individual teachers are not to blame, the Gretton Institute emphasises. They're just undervalued and overworked. The real problem is that government policy in Australia places too little value on the development and mastery of teachers' skills. Now, the development and mastery of teachers' skills does not come in the form of a teacher repelling from a helicopter into a troubled school in regional Australia, saying, I'm here, all your problems are solved. It's not heli-teach or heli-vets or you don't solve problems by parachuting people in, paying them large amounts of money, and then, of course, as soon as the money runs out, where do they go? Somewhere else. In fact, probably, from their point of view, anywhere else. Now, a new report by the New South Wales Auditor General has exposed major flaws in the way the New South Wales Department monitors and ensures teaching quality in schools. Now, this concept of monitoring and ensuring teacher quality is part of a process where you establish what good teaching practice is. But if you start there and stop there by going in and assessing good teaching and then walking away, you've done nothing. In fact, you've probably had a few people walk off the job because that process itself is traumatic and um, I don't want to put up with this again. There has to be something attached to that process. If you're going to measure something, then do something. This, I think, is a paralysing paradigm in the modern world, but if you're going to to, to measure it, then do something. If measuring and not doing it, there is no point. Now, education departments offer no shortage of high-quality teaching definitions on paper. Teachers can turn to the national teaching standards on multiple frameworks and performance documents used in schools. But these documents are full of intangibles. There are too few specifics. And there is no one in the current workforce structure who has a dedicated time and role to enact them in anything like a day-to-day practice to show, for example, why one lesson plan in maths might work better than another lesson plan in maths for that particular class on that particular day at that particular time. The best teachers are not sufficiently allocated the time, roles or skills to help other teachers improve. Teachers who have really mastered specific aspects of teaching, say in their subject area, or specific skill-like assessment, continue to work behind the four walls of their classrooms with little mandate to drive real improvement more broadly. And quite frankly, in schools at the moment, if you have an absolutely gun teacher working in a classroom, they are not encouraged by the other teachers to come and share their wisdoms. There, there's no collegiate approach because, dum 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 someone's getting paid $50,000 over there. <laughs> so let's go and talk to them. Um, it's, a stra- it's like competition solves all problems. Give people more money. Throw money at a teacher and they'll be a good teacher. In fact, there's good teachers out there that will be crying out for, give me six periods less a week and I will help the other teachers. Oh, yes, I will. It's not even about the money in many cases. The concept of a master teacher or indeed a demonstration teacher um, being a category within the hierarchy of something that a teacher can aspire to through their working life just doesn't exist. Used to. Used to, indeed, in Australia, but certainly doesn't anymore. Um, And other countries in the world have worked this out a long, long time ago. In fact, other countries around the world, like Singapore, or indeed Shanghai, or indeed Finland, the, the, the role of a teacher, not just in the school, but in their country, is a highly valued one. They walk down the street and someone says, oh, what are you doing? You go, oh, I'm a teacher. And they go, oh, you're a teacher? Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for your service, as they would say in America. You must be a very clever person. Here, let me buy you a coffee. So I'm sure in Finland and Shanghai and Singapore, there's lots of free coffees going to teachers just because they're teachers. Now, that's a sol- that is one very big solution to the problem of teaching and learning in Australia. Why won't that happen? Well, there's a couple of reasons why that's never, ever going to happen in Australia. I'll never say never. You never say never. I will. will. It will never happen while we have a private school system. Because if that takes place in the public school system, the public school system will become, by definition, more effective, more efficient, and more accountable than the states, uh, than than, than, than the private school system, and their enrolments will fall not just incrementally as they are now, but they will fall precipitously. Because people will work out that there's good things going on in the local state school, and why should you waste the money? Now, the rich ones that Jean's talking about, they'll survive anyway, because that's not about education, that's just about the entrenchment of privilege. But here in Australia, about 20% or 23% of the kids in this country, I would say on average, that's a guess, 
will be educated in non-elite private schools. You know, they're paying anything between two and $10,000 a year to put their child in a, in a private school because, in many cases, well, it's not the local state school, you wouldn't do that. As soon as the local state school starts to um, pull in the numbers in terms of NAPLAN and all the rest, um, the private school will be left high and dry. So what are they going to do? They're going to fight. How do they fight? Well, they've got politicians in their pocket. They say, oh, well, if this hap- that happens, over, you've got to give us money too. And as soon as all the private schools are going to give us money too, then, of course, the amount of money is too much. And so they say, well, we can't do that. It's too expensive because we have to do it for all of the children, even the ones that have been segregated out by the choice of their parents. And that's why it won't happen, because if you give a dollar to a child in Australia that needs it, if you give a dollar to a teacher in Australia that's doing a good job in a state school, you've got to give a dollar to a child that doesn't. Two dollars. Well, no, actually, no. It used to be 50 cents, but now it's a dollar. It's a dollar-for-dollar thing. Every time you give money to someone in an education system where they actually need it, you never have to give a dollar to someone who doesn't. And that's why it's too expensive, and that's why it won't happen. Now, on top of that, I'd like to now tell you, it's a bit depressing, I know. So take away the private schools, then you get a better education system, basically, because if you have hierarchies, the concept of a master teacher, someone who knows their subject area, someone who knows their craft, sharing in a structured way within a school is absolutely magic. And in fact, I'm going to tell you a school where it's already happening, just, just quietly because we don't want everyone to know. Mm-hmm. But I'll talk about that when we talk about our great state school. But after, the, after, after this little music, I'd like to talk about another reason why indeed what Jean's point, point of view, which is have a little hope, Robert, have a little hope, is that what she was mentioning before about private school fees and what that means in the context of Australian education. School fees. Apparently, um, Scott Morrison's all worried because um, he's given us all these tax cuts, apparently, and we're not spending them because we've got to spend them on things to speed up the economy, to get the interest rates going. And it's, all, it's all rather complicated. And every time I sort of ask a question, I hear the Prime Minister says, Oh, don't you worry about that. Stop exaggerating. Don't get so excited. We are good economic managers. Mm, you just have to believe that. It's a belief. Mm. Yes. Yeah, well, no, anyway, no, but he's telling me to just, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. But apparently, um, some of the underlings are a bit worried that we're not spending enough for the money that they're supposed to have given us in our tax returns. Um, well, I can tell you one of the reasons why. Um, well, they are spending it, but they're just spending it on school fees. Because school fees have gone up 3.1% this year. 
which is nearly twice the rate of inflation, as Jean mentioned before. And they've been doing that for 10 years on the go. So you, that, you, you know compound interest out there in Radio Land. I'm, I'm not going to work it out myself, but that's a lot of money. I think it's getting up to 40% increase over 10 years at least. No, I think it's more. Anyway, on top of that, 1,600 families, um, the private, uh, the, well, there's a, basically there's a company out there, and what they do is they work out how much school fees cost and then set up financial plans for concerned parents so that then when the child is born, they can have enough money for their school fees. It's a sort of an investment opportunity, private school fees company. And what they do is they... It, it, it's, it's actually in their interest to have accurate data about how much school fees are going up because that means that they get more money out of the parents who are worried about not being able to afford the school fees, blah, blah, blah. But the interesting thing about this, Robert, is that these soaring school fees have given rise to new financial products. And there's a man called James Black, according to education, the education section of the Financial Review, who runs a successful radiology business in Double Bay, but he's worked out what to do about it. It's insuring, it's an insurance for uh, these middle-class parents who are paying these enormous fees in case they lose their job. So this is very interesting. Uh, new financial products. I wonder if this will lead to a scam and how many people will find that they're losing their houses when they can't pay the school fees. This happened in inner Sydney some time ago and there are a lot of middle class parents took off the public schools as a result. But um, keep going. Why, thank you, Jean. I'm in a survey of 1,600 parents, in fact. They found that in Victoria... Um, 40% of them, um, no, I take that back. Um, a survey of 1,600 families by the company across the nation showed that private school fees consumed 40% of their disposable, of, of their net family mm-hmm. income. School fees consumed 40% of the family's net income. We're not talking about rent or mortgage, we're Ooh, talking no. about fees. Now, of course, this has been going on and on and on and on. And, and as Jean said back in the 90s, oh, we have to give the private schools money because that will, that will make them cheaper. Well, no, it hasn't. So not surprisingly then, just in sheer financial terms, private school enrolments are sliding in favour of public school system. And the public school system starts to work out how to mentor their own teachers properly. Then you have a generation and you have a generational shift from private to public because not only is the financial pressure there, but there's no... There's no good educational reason. Now, the proportion of children in government schools grew in 2007 and 2018, so now it's a trend. The census data shows. Um, and this is actually breaking around that goes back to the 1970s, which Jean so often tells us all about. So there's a little hope in the end there, but um, as I say, um, if, they're going to in, if, if they're going to teach the teachers properly and then mentor the teachers and help the teachers and allow the teachers to support each other, that $50,000 for the parachuted in brilliant teacher at some regional school should actually be, be better spent on three good teachers in all schools and say, you don't have to teach those six periods, you're now a master teacher, Miss Such and Such, and your job now is to spend those six periods helping your fellow workers who have just come to the school this year. Well, helping your fellow workers who have been here for 25 years and really do need a bit of a fresh up. <laughs> And do you know what? They have to listen to you. And do you know why? You're good at your job. We recognise that you have skills and abilities in this school that other people don't, and you're being paid for them. You're being paid for them. So that's what I think Millionaire should do if he wants to improve the education system in regional and remote Victoria. Yeah, get the teachers in, but when they get there, make sure they're all supported. You've been to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Now it comes to the good bit. For all those people that have been waiting, we're going to talk about a really great state school. Every week on the Dogs Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Yeah, a great state school for this week is Thomas Down East Primary School. 
never gets where. Thomastown. If you don't know Melbourne very much, uh, Thomastown is in the northern suburbs. It is not a wealthy place. It is not a wealthy place at all. In fact, at this school, it's really interesting. Um, the average ICSIA value across Australia, which is the index of um, oh, socioeconomic advantage, index of socioeconomic and educational advantage, that's what it is, yeah, ICSIA value. Basically, it means combination of how well your parents are educated plus how much money you got in the bank. Your parents, that is, not you personally, because I'm talking about a primary school. Um, this school's ICSIA is... 20, or sorry, 10, 24, so it's just above average. But if you look at the actual figures, if you look at the actual figures, 52% are in the lowest two quartiles of exterior advantage, and then another 29% are in the middle upper band, but not in the upper band. There's only 18% in the middle upper band. So if you're expecting something to be around about 1,000, you expect 25% in all, but that's not quite the case. It's actually a very broad spread. In fact, it is a representation in many ways of what Australia looks like. It's a representation of the upper, the middle, the middle lower, and then the lower quartiles of extra advantage. In fact, it's a wonderful little place up there in the north. Um, I would also say that it is a school in many ways representative of an upbringing that I had, which was an inner urban upbringing sometimes. Sometimes it was rural, but sometimes it was inner, inner urban in that the language background of students other than English is 85%. So most, you know, basically most of the kids are going home and not speaking English. And there is um, a couple of Indigenous kids there. So not really represented at all, but there's a couple. Well, they identify as Indigenous at least. Um, there's 110 boys and there's 87 girls. So it's a little primary school, a little tiny microcosm of Australia up there in Thomastown. If you know Thomastown, there's some really good shops if you want great falafel. Um, if there's some really good shops if you want some good um, Vietnamese takeaway too. Um, it's, a, it's an incredibly mixed up place. It isn't what it was and it's not what it's going to be. It's one of those suburbs that moves and shifts and changes. But in the middle of it, in the east of it, there's this little school. And it's a small school. It's only got 152 kids in it. And it's located in a highly industrial area. Smack bang in, um, surrounded by factories. Now, the student population is drawn from a high number of cultural and different socioeconomic backgrounds. So they've got everyone. They're all different. They have a high proportion of families that receive EMAs, which are educational maintenance allowances, which means that you know, basically they don't have to pay any of the fees or charges um, at all. The school has 14.3 equivalent full-time staff with one principal, nine and a bit teachers and four support staff. Now, the changing demographic of the school continues to present a number of challenges as their enrolments, particularly at PrEP, present with no preschool experience and are virtually preliterate and prenumerate. They focus on programs such as oral language mathematics and literacy support to ensure that all the students have a concrete basis to present and something they can actually have that will help them with their future learning. The school has made a long-term commitment to providing our students with the best opportunities for effective learning on a personal and collective level and improve student learning outcomes, test scores. We will also look to ensuring that our participation in the Regional Achievement Improvement Zones project has positive outcomes for innovation of curriculum and, and this is interesting, delivery, especially in the key areas which they see as literacy and numeracy. Now I'm going to stop you there. That's actually on their website. I've just read that from their website, and it's what they say about themselves. Um, there's no waffle in any of that. There's a couple of aspirational words, like curriculum innovation and positive outcomes, but mostly it's just, this is what we do. These are the people that we are. This is who we're faced with when they come in the door to teach, and this is what we do. So this is Thomas Townish Primary School. It's, it's a no-frills place, and it's got no-frills teachers, and it's got a no-frills website, and the kids are pretty much no-frills. So you expect in this situation, well, obviously the amount of money it costs to educate these kids in this situation is a no-frills cost. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's about 12500 bucks a student a year. 
Now, school fees, school fees and charges are $281 per student, but as we know, a very large proportion of kids do not pay that, or their parents don't pay that at all because they aren't EMAs. So, 12000 bucks, No frills, no nonsense. How do the kids do? Well, this is the one thing about the school that I find fascinating because there's nothing that's no frills about this. Nothing at all that's no frills about their results. Their results are blindingly brilliant across reading and writing and spelling and grammar and numeracy. In year three and year five, they are off the charts compared with similar schools. That is, similar schools with similar ICSIA values. And as we know in Australia, to our shame, the wealth of the parents determines educational advantage. And the wealth of the parents determines how well they do more than any other factor. More than how much they read, more than how smart they are. But compared to all Australian students, rich, poor or otherwise, they are blindingly brilliant in everything in grade three and grade five. There is not a single result in that school that is not substantially above the national average in reading, writing, spelling, grammar or numeracy. I personally find that absolutely amazing. Well, there must be some master teachers up there. I or think mistress teachers. Really Master or indeed mistress teachers. It's absolutely fascinating. But it sounds like a collegial situation too. Well, it's a small school mm. and they settled on something, haven't they? Mm. They settled on something and it's worked. And you know what? I went back through their records and went, ah, oh, this is just, you know, they're, they're, they're fudging the results. They've got to be. 2014, same thing. Same size, same results. 2013, go back further, same size, same results. They're taking preliterate kids and getting them into year, grade three with absolutely superlative results. Now, I'm just fascinated by how do you get this little pearl, this little great, it is like by, by any measure, in terms of cost effectiveness, if you want to be a business person, for 12,000 bucks, straight up, you're getting brilliant education for 150 kids. Wow. <laughs> I'll take that. School fees? No, nah, not, not if you can't afford it. If you can't afford it, 250 bucks, thanks. So I went and found just a little bit more digging, and I found I found Jeremy. I found Jeremy Blaney. He was the principal of this little school. And I read his principal's message. Because the principal's message is often, again, filled with, you know, aspirations and platitudes and community-building status. Now, he says, we're small, we're friendly, and we're family-oriented. We are a community of learners who are confident. We are creative and we are challenged to achieve our full potential within a safe, happy place where we all support each other. Okay, you can call that platitudes or you can just call that that's what I want. I, I'm taking those words because those words are simple words and those words are deep words from, from, from my point of view. If you're saying confident, challenged and safe, happy, you're talking about somewhere to start in a primary school. He sounds as if he just likes children. Our aim here, he says is to make the most of opportunities for all students to achieve what it is they can achieve. We understand that each student is different and we respond to each student's needs individually because we can. We're a small school and we develop them from their point of need, particularly, he says, in terms of numeracy and literacy. Which goes back to the, you know, which just goes back to the other data where you're going, by the grade, and by the time they finish grade three, they are caning it in. Now, we currently offer a commission, a, a curriculum, which is professionally delivered, a whole school approach to teaching and learning using ICT to support the learning. But literacy and numeracy is the priority curriculum areas we have dedicated teaching support to in the during the, during, during the days that these key, key areas are taught. So there's four learning support officers. Pretty sure those learning support officers are going to be all about, all about numbers and all about the reading. And just that simple, no-nonsense approach. It's gold. It's, it's completely different to the approaches of schools I've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, which have been individually focused, but for people with very severe ne- learning needs, both in the West and up in the North, no, this is, this is, we're just taking kids 
at face value and doing the best we can. It really puts paid to that myth of the state school being just this monolithic, oh. you know, cookie cutter. Every state school is different, and this exemplifies that. Yeah. I think there's a ter- I think there's an amazing irony in here. An amazing irony. If I were to read a principal's message at a private school, if I were to read, you know, some some mission statement by the private school, it'd be all about leadership and aspiration and giving back to the community and all blah 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 blah. blah. But they ain't got results that can touch these. <laughs> they ain't got the results that can touch what Thomas Town East Primary School is doing today. So for that reason, for that reason alone, they are a great state school. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Oh, isn't that wonderful? You sit here and whinge and gripe and grumble about things around the world and then you come across Thomas Down East Primary School just to cheer you up at the end. What a master. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, you've been listening to the Dogs Program. If you haven't worked it out by now, we are the defenders of government schools with a smattering of music from Henry VIII's Court. Um, that's what we do. We play weird music and we tell you things that we think you need to know because that's what 3CR is all about. Just about every other program has any form of political sort of oeuvre. Um, we just tell you what we think you need to know because no one else is gonna. So if you do want to find out more about us, please do. Contact's at our website. We're all technological at www.adogs.info and at 3CR website, which is 3cr.org.au. And don't forget, call up on 94198377 during business hours if you want to suggest a good, great state school for me to talk about. And I will. But until next week, it's bye for now.